What an awesome thing to celebrate uh, together as a community. The baptism of three people across our uh, three locations on this Sunday morning. To me, there's absolutely nothing better than hearing the stories of what God has been up to and the ways in which God is rescuing people from our community um, and changing their lives. And it's just an amazing and beautiful thing. It makes me think of my own baptism 26 years ago. I was 15 years old. And I think in my own baptism, I, I suffered under a little bit of confusion about what all of this was all about, about what baptism was and what the, what the Christian life, what following Jesus was really all about. Because at my baptism at 15 years of age, I, I kind of believed that that was sort of the end of a critical part of the journey, which it is, the end of the journey of discerning that I was ready to make a public commitment to following Jesus Christ. I, I thought of baptism as the end of something. It was the establishment and the declaration of my faith in Jesus, which meant to me at the time that though I was a sinner, Jesus' death and resurrection had provided me the forgiveness I needed for my sins so that I could go to heaven one day when I die. So my baptism was about proclaiming my faith in Jesus that after I died, I would go to heaven. And and to me, the confusion at my baptism rested in what was supposed to happen in between the service where I celebrated my baptism and my funeral service one day where we celebrate my death. It was that little gray period of life that hopefully is not so little that I was confused about because I thought at my baptism, everything about my faith is now resolved. I've come to believe, period. I'm done bringing my faith to completion. And I didn't really know what the rest of my life prior to cashing in on my faith after my death, prior, what the whole rest of my life was really supposed to be all about. I had a vague sense that I should probably be obedient in the way that Jeff was talking about last week. Um, maybe just to even just show gratitude to God for having saved me. But I really didn't know, I didn't understand what the Christian life was really all about, what following Jesus day to day really, really meant because I didn't totally understand the piece of the immovable series, the, the cornerstone or the foundation stone that we're gonna talk about today in this series where we're exploring the foundations of our faith. The first three, I think I had pretty well in place. I'm going to use my trusty Russian nesting dolls to illustrate this series that we've been on because what I knew for sure and what we talked about a few weeks ago is that the ultimate reality in the universe is a God who is love. Behind everything that we see, behind everything that there is, there exists a God whose very nature and essence is uncontainable, limitless, infinite, sacrificial, self-giving love. A God who has no off position on the love switch, who only knows how to do one thing, who has always only ever loved, who always only ever loves now, and who will always only ever love in the future. And it was out of God's abundant love, we said, in the 
in the first week that God created the universe. I was just about to open the doll and that's not quite what I wanted to do yet. That God was, that God created a universe, that his love was so abundant and overflowing that he needed to create a receptacle outside of himself into which he could pour his love. He needed to create an object towards which he could direct the fullness of his love. And so God created the universe and everything there is. And now I want to open it because inside the universe... God placed a species of creature called humanity. A being that was created in God's image that was meant to populate the world and live the way that God lives. A life that's powered by love. Human beings were created to live in a love relationship with God, loving themselves in a healthy way and then loving each other as much as we love ourselves so we can partner together and fill the world with God's love. That was the point of creating human beings. But the problem we talked about in the second week, the problem is that as a species, we chose to do something else. We kind of went a different way with it rather than love. We, we chose to serve ourselves. We kind of pushed aside the love of God. We chose to love ourselves instead of loving each other. And when we partnered together for creation, it was to exploit creation because of greed. And in so doing, in so choosing to sin, which is to do anything else other than love, we unleashed a tidal wave of evil in the world, of violence and chaos and destruction and injustice and oppression and pain and death. God, in response to the sin of humanity, and we didn't talk about this a ton during the series, but called one nation out of all of humanity to be his representative people, the nation of Israel, who would be the people among all humanity who demonstrated what a life of loving God, loving themselves, loving each other, and loving the world was supposed to look like. The problem with Israel was that they too were infected by the human disease called sin. They failed to be everything that God had created and called them to be agents of his love. And so out of Israel... little bit of stubbornness there. Out of Israel, God chose one man, Jesus of Nazareth. God in human flesh. God come into the world as a human being. The incarnation of everything that is true about who God is and about what humanity was meant to be. Someone who lived a perfect life of loving God, loving themselves, loving each other, and loving the world. Who became a you know, to tap into Jeff's imagery last week of apprenticeship, who became a journeyman in the trade of love, who was a sensei in the martial art of love, so that if we were to put ourselves under Jesus' authority and study under him and learn of him, we could learn to love like he loves. Jesus' life culminated in his death on the cross where Jesus stood in the face of the tidal wave of evil that humanity has created in the world. And as it washed over him on his, during his death on the cross, he responded in the face of evil with forgiveness and love. And when God raised Jesus from the dead three days later, it was God's way of affirming all of Jesus' life and the value and efficacy of Jesus' death. It was God's way of saying, yes, love wins over evil in the end. It was 
through Jesus' death on the cross, that when God raised him from the dead, he put him in authority over all of creation so that he could begin to steer our world away from sin and evil and back towards God's vision of love. And now, as the result of Jesus' mission, he extends an invitation to us. He extends an invitation for us to follow him. And as Jeff said last week, followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. The invitation is that we would in faith embrace the forgiveness that he offers because of his death on the cross. That we would accept for ourselves forgiveness for all the times when we've chosen something other than Love, And that we would embrace him as the example, as the leader of our lives, as the authority over all of our decisions and choices, over all of our priorities, over all of our inclinations and our values, that Jesus would be the one who dictates the life that we're called to live, which is a life of love. That's the invitation that Jeff talked about last week. Now here's the problem. And here's what I didn't understand at my baptism. And here's the fourth and final cornerstone of what we believe to be fundamentally true and the stuff that will never change in this church. Is that my problem as a human being continues to be sin. My problem is that I cannot and do not follow the example of Jesus. I don't. And I can't, I don't get out of bed every single day to love God with all that I am and all that I have. I get out of bed for lots of reasons and a lot of my reasons for getting out of bed have to do with me and not God, with my dreams and my goals and my vision of my life the way I want my life to be. I don't get out of bed to love other people as much as I love myself. I get out of bed to love myself. I participate in you know, out of sight, out of mind kinds of friendships. I, I participate and propagate what have you done for me lately kind of relationships. I do that. In my marriage and in my family, I sometimes struggle because my wife and kids um, seem to forget with regularity that they exist purely to serve my pleasure in the world. And I get frustrated and annoyed when they seem to believe that I exist to serve their pleasure and delight in the world. I live in selfishness. Most of the time. I don't get out of bed to love the world. Sacrificially, self-givingly. To uh, bring abundance and healing and hope and uh, prosperity and life to the poor and the forgotten and the ignored. I live for convenience and comfort and consumption and all sorts of other things that probably should all start with the letter C. My problem is that I can't and don't and won't live after the pattern of Jesus. I'm to Jesus. And it's not a matter of, you know, try harder. It's not a matter of white knuckling it and working at it and really, you know, working hard to try and become something that I'm not. It's not a matter of practice making perfect. This isn't like learning to slam dunk a basketball where I cannot even come close. But if I tried really, really hard, maybe one day I could train myself to get the basketball in the hoop or at least come close enough for my own satisfaction. It's not like learning to slam a basketball. It's like learning to try and jump to the moon. I will never be able to be the person that God has created and called me to be. Because the truth about me 
And the truth about you is that left to our own devices, we're spiritually empty. We don't have in us the strength and the power and the ability and the inclination or even the will to even want to be the kind of people that Jesus has created us to be. We are empty individuals spiritually. Which is why for me, it's such great news that Jesus said this. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 15 to 17, he says, if you love me, if you want to follow me, then follow me, keep my commands. And Jesus' commands are always only ever to love. And he says, if you do that, if you follow me and keep my commands to love, if that's your goal, your aim in life, then I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Listen to this. For he lives with you and will be in you. See, Jesus says, here's the thing about following me. And here's the thing that you need to understand. If you want to live a life where you follow Jesus and obey his commands to love, live a life that reflects the way Jesus lived as someone who loves God with everything you have and you are, and ever, someone who loves themselves in the healthy way that grows out of God's love for you, and someone who loves other people as much as you love yourselves, and someone who is willing to partner together with others to love the world. If you want to be that kind of person, then God has sent into your life the Holy Spirit. To fill you up, to make you whole, to make you spiritually the person God has created and called you to be, to give you the strength and the ability and the power and the inclination and the will to choose with your priorities and your inclinations and your values and your life decisions and your life direction to choose to live in the way that looks like Jesus, which is the way of love. The Holy Spirit literally, actually, physically, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God himself comes to live inside of you and you have access to, in your spirit, all of the spiritual power and energy that, cre- that God used to create the entire universe is available to you and in you to help you be the person who loves God and obeys his commands to love. That's incredible news. Because when you realize that, when I realize that, when I let that sink into my spirit, that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, lives inside of me to empower me to be the person that God has created and called me to be a person of love, that will absolutely radically transform everything about my life. Everything. It transforms my relationship with God. These next couple minutes are probably the the bumpiest theological ground in this whole sermon. If you, if you can keep your thinking hat on for only three minutes, use, use it now because stick with me. But this is what the scripture says, that when you put your faith in Christ, God puts the spirit in you and then God puts you in Christ. 
Paul says it's a mystery that no one can understand. It's kind of like, he says, a husband and a wife, two distinct and separate individuals who become joined together as one through the act of marriage. This is what God does. When you put your faith in Christ, he puts his Holy Spirit in you and then puts you in Christ so that now you are intimately connected with two members of the Trinity, which in Romans chapter eight says, immediately connects you with God the Father. It says in Romans eight, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. It means God the Father. See, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship into God's family, he means. And by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When God puts the Spirit in you and puts you in Christ, that draws you into the life of the Trinity where God adopts you as his own child. Where the Spirit inside of your spirit affirms the intensity and the intimacy of God's love towards you and then empowers you, he says, to cry out, Abba, Father, which is a term of intimacy, to cry out a cry of love in response, the same kind of love that a child extends to their parent. You become a child of the Father. You are invited into the divine inner dance of love with the Trinity has been living with for all of eternity. You become a part of the inner circle, the life of the inner circle of God. And you cannot be any more connected to the love of God than that. It fundamentally transforms the way you relate to God. Because the Holy Spirit affects, for example, the way that we pray. Right? What is prayer? Prayer is a human being on this side talking to God over here. And we know that God is a trinity, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the, a human being over here talking to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit over here. That's prayer, right? Wrong. Because in Romans 8, Paul says that when we pray, the Spirit prays for us. The Spirit is actually not on God's side of the conversation. The Spirit stays with us on our side. So when we pray, it is us and the Holy Spirit together talking to God. We are participating in the inner circle conversation. When we bring the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of our world in prayer before God, the Spirit prays for us towards the Father through the Son and we become a part of the inner dialogue of the Trinity contemplating how God's love will be poured into the situation of brokenness that we're praying about. That's incredible to think about. The Spirit changes the way we hear from God because conversations aren't one way, right? They're two-way conversations. And so we hear the voice of God because of the Spirit residing in us. The Bible says no one knows the mind of God except the spirit of God. So when you pray to God and when you ask God for direction in life, when you ask God for discernment in a particular situation, when you ask God for wisdom in the circumstance that you find yourself in or wisdom for making a choice, when you ask God for the words to say or for the right way to behave and you sit and listen in quietness, you can hear in your spirit the Spirit speaking the mind of God to you. You can hear from God what God wants you to do. Not always, it doesn't always happen that way. Or whatever, but, but you have the chance to hear God because of the Spirit living in you. 
It changes the way you read the scriptures. Jeff was talking about this last week. We're doing this community Bible initiative uh, later on this month. In two weeks it starts, and I hope that everybody's going to be a part of it. But it changes. The Holy Spirit in us changes the way we read the scriptures. It says that we can't understand the scriptures unless the Spirit illuminates our minds. So when we sit down to read the Bible, if we read it prayerfully with our mind and our heart and our spirit open to the Spirit of God who is in us, the Holy Spirit will open our mind to understand what God is trying to say to us through the scriptures. It's not instead of study and instead of doing the hard work of reading well, it's the Spirit empowering the study to understand what God is saying through Scripture. It'll fundamentally transform your relationship with God. It'll fundamentally transform your relationship with yourself, frankly. See, the issue that we have, that we talked about two weeks ago, the issue that we have in our life is the issue of sin. But the Holy Spirit, God sends into our lives in order to deal with the issue of sin. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free from religion and rules and rituals and all that stuff. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. In other words, don't use your freedom from religion and rules um, to just simply default back to choosing all the things that gave you pleasure when you were living your life and you didn't care what God thought. Instead, serve one another humbly in love. That's the command. So, Paul says, if that's how you want to live, I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says, if you want to be the kind of person who starts loving God, loving yourself, loving others, and loving the world with everything you have and everything you are in the way that God created and called you to be, what you need is the Holy Spirit to eliminate the temptation or to give you strength to overcome the temptation to choose everything else. Um. You live with this moment-by-moment realization that you can never be the person God has created and called you to be, but that you have all of the strength and power and spiritual resources of God himself living in your spirit. You have access to every, all the power that God has to unleash in the world. You have access to it, and you, you learn to live in this moment-by-moment dependence of saying, I can't be the person that you created and called me to be. But Holy Spirit, you have the strength to make me the person that I've been created to be. Do that in me. Do that through me. Make me right now the person you created me to be. Don't let me depend on my own strength and try hard. You give me the strength to do it. And when you begin to deal with the sin in your life and the Holy Spirit begins to nurture this holiness in you, the result of holiness is wholeness, is healing. See, the Bible makes the connection between sin and dis-ease, unhealth in our lives. Jesus' brother wrote, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other and you'll be healed. In other words, um, Sin leads to brokenness in you. Now, not all the brokenness that you experience is the direct consequence of some sin that you've um, committed. If you're struggling with depression or whatever, that is God's not punishing you because of some sin in your life. But not all brokenness is the direct result of sin, but all sin directly results in brokenness. When we choose to live a life other than the one that we were created and called to live, a life of love, we choose that 
We undermine the, ourselves in being the person God has created and called us to be. And we experience a lack of health. But if you're willing to address the sin, if you're willing to confess it and address it in prayer, in community, James says, you'll experience healing. You will slowly become internally, in your internal life, the healthy, whole, strong person God has created you to be. I believe that Jesus wasn't just the holiest person who ever lived. He was emotionally the healthiest person who ever lived because he always only ever chose to be the person God had created him to be, which is the way of love. Fundamentally transform your relationship with God. It'll fundamentally transform your relationship with yourself. But more than that, it'll fundamentally transform your relationships with others. You see, when, when God puts the spirit in you, and puts you in Christ, he also joins you together in the community of those who love and serve Christ in the way of love. He joins you together with the church. In as much as the New Testament says that the Holy Spirit lives in every individual believer, the New Testament also says that the Holy Spirit lives in the community of the church. Ephesians 2 says, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He says the whole church is like a temple. It's like a, a building that God is constructing as he builds people's lives together in relationship and in community with each other. And the spirit takes up residence in the community of faith in fact earlier in the chapter Paul says by Christ the spirit breaks down all of the barriers that keep us divided in relationship with from each other whether that's age or gender or race and ethnicity or um, whether that's education or socioeconomic status or color color or whatever it happens to be all the things that breed hostility and judgment in the community because of Christ the spirit breaks all of those things down together and we end up living with each other as family and not just as family we live with each other as family the way family is supposed to be Paul says one of the hallmarks of the presence of the Holy Spirit in community is love it's the joy that people have in just being together with other people who also love Christ. It is the peace that descends on relationships as forgiveness and reconciliation reign in the community. It's the patience that we extend towards those who are being difficult. It is the kindness that we offer to the unkind. It's the goodness we extend to those who aren't being good. It's the uh, faithfulness that we offer to those who aren't being faithful. It's the gentleness with which we treat those who aren't being being gentle with us. It's the self-control that the Holy Spirit breeds in us that allows us to respond in love rather than to react in selfishness to whatever arises. We become community the way. Community was always supposed to be, not just in the way that we're with each other, but in the way that we're for each other, in the way that we carry each other's burdens and be a shoulder to each other and, and offer to shoulder each other's burdens. It's in the way that we address sin in each other's lives, gently in the spirit, restoring each other back to the life that God has created and called us to live. It's in the way that we um, serve each other with the gifts that God's given each one of us and empowered us to use for the good of the whole community, whether teaching, leadership, or uh, 
service and prayer or generosity and administration, whether prophecy or praying for healing for people, God has given you something to offer the community so that when we all, empowered by the Spirit, offer to serve the rest for the common good, we all grow into maturity, into Christ, who is our head. Fundamentally transform the way you experience community. It'll fundamentally transform the way you live with the people around you. You see what God does with the church as he makes it into the community that he always intended community to be is that he sends us out into the world among the rest of humanity to be the testimony of what is possible when God is allowed to rule in a community. In Acts chapter one, Jesus says, but when you will receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In my humble understanding, being a witness requires basically two things. Number one, you have to have seen something. You have to have a subjective experience of something that is remarkable that people need to know about. And Jesus says when the spirit falls on the community that is the church and begins to radically reshape our relationship with God and ourselves and each other, we end up becoming something that testifies to the rest of the world that life could be different because of Jesus by the power of the spirit. And we testify just by being it. But then more than that, a witness isn't someone who's just experienced something. A witness is somebody who testifies to something in a way that informs and transforms somebody else's understanding and experience. We're meant to go out and to tell the world about what Jesus is doing in us and among us by his Holy Spirit and to invite people to become a part of what God is doing in the world in filling people's lives and communities and creation with love. And as the community of people being impacted by Christ through the spirit begins to grow, God sends us out back into creation to partner together in a way that fills the world with God's love. To partner together in a spirit-shaped politics that's for justice for all. To partner together in a spirit-shaped economics that's uh, geared towards generosity to all. To partner together in spirit-shaped culture, which is about service for all. To partner together in God-shaped religion, which is for hope for all. Until we together are filling the world with God's beauty and life and abundance and vitality and rest and peace for Christ by the Spirit. And the world slowly becomes the place that God always dreamed it would be be what Jesus called the kingdom of God it's not there now because I for one at least still don't love God with all I am and have I don't love myself the way I ought I don't love others as much as I love myself and I don't love the world all the time but it is 
becoming for Christ by the power of the spirit. It is becoming the world that God has created it to be. And one day Jesus will return to earth in human form to bring to completion the work he began in his death and resurrection. The work that the Holy Spirit has been doing in and through the church for 2,000 years. And he will finally, freely, forever rid the world of violence and evil and pain and death and destruction and chaos and tears and God will come and live with his reformed, recreated people in his recreated creation for all of eternity. And friends, that will be heaven on earth. That's what I didn't understand on my baptism day. That what I was committing to in the tank was not just a faith in Christ that would get me to heaven when I died. What I was committing to was a life led and lived by the spirit of God that empowered me to love God, to love myself, to love everyone else and to love the world until Jesus returns to fill this world with love. May those who made their faith commitments today and may all of us Commit our lives to a spirit-shaped love that will one day change all the world. Let's pray together. Father, the vision of what you want for me and what you want for us individually, what you want for us as a community, what you want for our world is overwhelming. And I thank you that you've not left it in our um, devices to do that on our own, but that you have filled us with all of the strength and ability and power of the spirit to be what you've created and called us to be, to do what you've created and called us to do, which is to love. Would you teach us to trust you, to depend on you, to lean on you day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, to be the people you've created and called us to be by the power of your spirit, do that in us so that in increasing ways, every moment of every day, we can see the kingdom that is coming by the power of your spirit for Jesus' sake, to the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.